Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is from Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, uh, and 8 and 11. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is, in, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is then in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. Thank you, Paul. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to be before your word and to be gathered as your people. God, we're thankful uh, for worship opportunities, opportunities to see you for who you are uh, and follow you. God, I pray that you would uh, bless this time now in your word uh, and may all that we do glorify you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There's a doctor, uh, Matthew Sleeth, who uh, tells a story from uh, a book he wrote called 24-6 uh, that was during his third year of medical school. And uh, by that point uh, in med school, these, all these students were, were pretty far advanced in their, uh, their, their knowledge of the medical world. All the, all the anatomy and physiology and biology type classes they have to take, they, they know it all in theory, but in in practice, they haven't had much opportunity. And so uh, this guy, Matthew Sleeth, was in, in his third year, and he had his first rotation with a radiologist, with the people who read x-rays. And uh, the very first lesson, they, they come in, him and another group of, a group of students, five or six of them, and uh, the, the radiologist puts the x-ray up on the, on the board and says, all right, what's wrong? And they all kind of look at each other, and nothing really stands out immediately to them. And so they start, uh, they're just kind of just silent. And so the radiologist says, all right, we'll start with something else. Start with what's right. And so they spend an hour going through everything they can see on this one chest x-ray. They learn this is a woman who's about 24 years old, and all she really had presenting was a, was a mild cough. And so they start going through, all right, heart looks good, lungs look good, you know, there's no broken bones they can see. And for an hour, this radiologist points out all the things that are right about the, about about the x-ray. And so the students are starting to begin to think, okay, yeah, the hardest x-rays to read are the normal ones. And so they've, they figured out the first lesson of, of, of radiology, you know, hard, hard, x, normal ones are hard. But they're just about ready to go for lunch, and uh, the, ex, the, the radiologist says, hold on, before you go, uh, uh, we haven't quite got this figured out. And they said, well, we, we think it's normal. And he said, you, that's what the ER doctor said last night. He said this, this x-ray looks normal. The, radiologist, uh, the radiology resident who was on call, he said it was normal. But I called this patient this morning and told her she has cancer. And all the students were like, what? How, how, could they, how could you possibly say this, this person has cancer? And he says, well, now let's, instead of just looking for what's normal or what's wrong, let's look for what's missing. Still, the students were very confused. They didn't see anything that was missing. And he said, what about where's the left clavicle, which is your collarbone? And they looked, and sure enough, this girl didn't have a clavicle. And so the radiologist says, I can tell by the way this is, this, her entire collarbone has been eaten by bone cancer. She has bone cancer. What's missing matters. Not just what's there, but what's missing can be really important. If you took your entire life and somehow put it up on a screen and you had everything you were looking through and checking through in your life, what, what, what would you see there? You look say, okay, I got 
you know, I, I know Jesus, check. I'm in, I'm in church, check. I got family, check. House, kids are in school, cars, whatever, check, 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 check. But what about rest? Could you look at your life? If you put your life up on the screen, would you be able to say, yes, this is my habit, my rhythm, my regular lifestyle of rest? Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you even more work so that you can prove your identity by how much you accomplish. Nope, <clears throat> that's not how that verse goes. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, but that, even just that phrase feels soothing to me. Rest for your souls. Isn't that what we long for? More than, just, <clears throat> more than just a nap this afternoon, although I do look forward to those on Sundays. More than just a, a nap, a rest for your souls. We long for that. And yet, <clears throat> what's so often missing in our lives, the thing that's, if we could put our lives up on a screen, the thing that's missing is true abiding rest. We come today to the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. Don't forget to rest and keep this day holy. Now, depending on which generation you come from and uh, what your background may be, you probably have different experiences of a Sabbath and Sunday routines and habits. Uh, there's a certain generation and, and certain group that uh, Sunday meant one thing you had to do. You had to go to church. And it meant a whole list of things you couldn't do, like mow the grass or wash the car or go to the mall, right? One pastor that I read talked about, he just assumed growing up that if, if something was fun, you couldn't do it on Sunday. That was kind of his just default assumption, is that you couldn't do anything fun on Sunday. But surely there's more to the fourth commandment than just show up to church and be boring and stay inside so that nobody thinks you're doing bad things, right? Surely God, if God had to make his top ten list, which he did, Surely he had more in mind than just a lot of things we can't do. Surely there was something deeper to it. What, what's the, the heart of this command? We've been going through these one in a week and asking, what's the heart? What's God's intention? Why did God give this? Why did he put this in his top ten? Now, I do have to answer one objection from the, about this command, and it comes from the Bible itself. Each of these I'm, I'm taking in the context of Exodus 20, but also, like uh, all the time, zooming out and saying, oh, what does the whole Bible say about this? And twice in the New Testament, this commandment gets mentioned in a very uh, challenging way. So I'm going to read this to you. Colossians 2:16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, in Romans 14, 5, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What, what's going on there? Why would he mention Sabbath in a way that sounds almost optional? Well, what Paul's talking about here is he's referencing back to this command is our freedom in Christ. We are no longer under the law of Moses. And yet, <clears throat> we have a, a new opportunity to live this out in the way the, the Old Testament did not. Think about what this would have been like for the first generation of Christians. Many of the, the all, all 12 apostles and many of the first Christians were Jewish by ethnicity. 
And so they had grown up, and their, their whole society, their Jewish society, revolved around stopping on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. So from sundown on Friday night through sundown on Saturday night, there was no work, and the Pharisees were very strict about what you could and could not do during that 24-hour period. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. They hurried to bury him before Sabbath started on Friday night. And then the first day of the week, Sunday morning, is when the women went out to see him. And so the first Christians began to celebrate Christ, celebrate the resurrection by observing not just the Sabbath or not the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day, celebrating the day of the resurrection. Not on Saturday, like the Jewish people had done, but on Sunday. So for these first Jewish Christians, they had kind of a question. Are we going to... Are we going to continue to honor the Sabbath? Are we going to continue to stop like the rest of society? Or are we going to work on the Sabbath on Saturday and not work on Sunday? It was confusing for them. And Paul was saying, this, you can go either way. You're fine. He was giving you freedom to worship the Lord either day. However, this was going to work out for them. Sabbath was not an obligation. This was not something worth fighting over. And instead of it being an obligation, he's saying there's a, a be something better going on here. Those first generations, and I, I dove way too deep into this this week, about, hey, what did they do between, between Jesus' resurrection and all these years later? Because they had to go to work on Sunday. It was, there was not a day off. The first, first, for 300 years in the Roman Empire, that was the first day of work. So they met at night. Christians met at night. You find that Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. So they had all gathered together and they were having their time of Christian worship. And that could have been actually either Saturday night after the Sabbath was over or maybe it was Sunday night. But either way, it wasn't on the Jewish Sabbath. And so this is not a picture of, of legalistic, exactly which day of the week. That, that, that wasn't the point. The point was that they gathered weekly for worship and there was freedom in Christ about exactly when and how you did that. The point wasn't being, leg being legalistic. The Pharisees were legalistic. The point was they had a chance to worship together. So with that in mind, this is not an obligation. Sabbath was never meant to be an, an obligation or a burden. It's an invitation. Sabbath is an invitation. So what I want to invite you to today is to Sabbath, not out of a strict rule keeping or obligation, but as an opportunity to worship. So here's what I, I want you to think about this week and, and as we take this command. Sabbath is an invitation to a rhythm of rest. Sabbath is an invitation to a rhythm of rest. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We were not put here on earth in order to, to serve, serve Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be a gift to us. Like all ten of these commandments, these commands are not obligations. They are a gift of grace. This is an opportunity. This is a blessing that God has given to us. The negative perception of the Ten Commandments is this is a burden that you better figure out if you want God to like you. You better do all these things exactly this way. But when God gave this to His people, they had just been freed out of Egypt. And He's saying, here's an opportunity. Here's a way to follow me better. The Sabbath is like that. It's law, but it's grace. It is a gracious gift of God. And so my question for you is, will you receive this gift? Not because you got to, but because you get to. It's an invitation, an opportunity to rest. And that's an invitation especially important for us today because we are busy people, are we not? We are busy people. 
We have so many things to do and we feel so tired and weary. We, we, our, our jobs are more demanding than ever because they can get a hold of us 24-7. They can make the phone in our pockets or beside our beds ring at any time they want. They can send us emails expecting us to respond at any time of the day or night. Our kids have to go to school, drop off and pick, off, pick up at certain times, and you can't be late or you can't be early or whatever. And there's after school activities and all the stuff that they have to do. There's homework after you know, supper, plus everything else is just moving so fast. And you're supposed to keep up with it all. And you're just so busy. Doesn't rest sound good? Doesn't rest sound like a gift to us? We, we are driven by a, a healthy sense of work ethic, and that's a good thing. There is a, a desire in our lives to work, and the Sabbath command speaks to that. It says, Exodus 29 uh, and 10 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. So the Sabbath command calls for that rhythm. Six days of working hard. Yes, work hard, do your best, do your job, do all kinds of great things, and then stop for a whole day. Rest and relax. So this, this one command could convict us of two different sins. It could convict us of being a lazy sluggard or of being a workaholic. If you don't work six days, if you don't try hard, if you don't put your effort in, well, you need to hear the first part of that. Work six days. Do all your work. But if you work seven days, say, whoa, 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 don't be a workaholic. Slow down here. Hear that in both directions. Work hard, but then take a day off. In, in the 1960s, uh, the world was watching technology speed up, and so in certain circles, there were conversations about what the future was going to be like for work, what people were going to do in the future. And, and I'm not making this up. In 1965, there were congressional hearings about what work would look like in the future. And they were concerned because people were going to have too much leisure time in the future. They were worried what people are going to do, how they're going to spend all their time, because they were watching manufacturing and things get faster and, and they were able to produce the same amount of stuff and needs, whatever, with less work. And so the, the Congress had lengthy hearings about this. I'm not kidding. 1965, uh, a Senate subcommittee produced a report that estimated in the year 2000, people would be working an average of 14 hours a week with seven weeks of vacation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? And yet, what did we do? We got more efficient, and we just bought more stuff and consumed more and accomplished more. We just, we just do more. We, we, don't, we don't get to a certain level and say, oh, I'm done. No, we just do more and more. If you go back, th this, this temptation, this desire for overwork is, is almost as old as we are. You go all the way back to Exodus 16. So even before God had given the Ten Commandments, God gave His people a very, a very tangible way to trust Him. He just brought them out of Egypt, right? And He said He was going to provide for them manna every single morning that they could go and they could gather their food. But He said on this, on the sixth day, this is what I want you to do. Go and gather twice as much, and your food's not going to rot when you keep it overnight. And on the seventh day, don't go out and gather. Here's a break. You don't have to work for it. You've got it already there right there in your house. And what did they do? They went out on the seventh day to try to keep working. That desire to work every single day and to keep going and keep going, to be a workaholic, is deep in our fallen nature. The Old Testament mentions the Ten Commandments two times. Here in Exodus 20, we've been primarily reading. But in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the second time that the, the Ten Commandments are given. This time Moses to the next generation of Israelites. And they are, they are almost verbatim. There's a couple places that are different. 
just the, the reasoning is different. Same order, same commands, but a little bit different wording. And on the, the fourth commandment is one of the places it's different. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses is telling this generation about keeping the Sabbath, and this is his reasoning. This is, this is how it's described to God's people. He said, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why, 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 is, why are the people of God getting the gift of Sabbath? He said, you were slaves for hundreds of years. You had to work every single day, and now you're free. So you don't have to work seven days anymore. You are no longer slaves. You're no longer in captivity. You've been given the gracious freedom of a break, of a break. My good friend and pastor who's in Massachusetts, Eric uh, Dawkins, he said this about this passage. He said, God is a gracious God who gives rest to His people. So if you're working seven days a week, you're not working for God. He is not your master because He does not demand that kind of work of you. God is not the one who is driving us to work seven days a week. We, if we're working seven days, we're not working for the Lord. For some of us, that's, <clears throat> that's hard to do because our identity is in our work. Our, our, who we are, who, how we see ourselves, what we think about ourselves is tied so closely to the things that we can make, the things we can produce. By accomplishing something, that is how we feel like we have worth and value and we matter to society. And so it's hard to stop. It's hard to cease because when we stop, we feel like we are worthless. Not just that we stop doing something, but we feel like I am nobody if I'm not accomplishing something. And so it can be hard for us to stop. Maybe you think, well, that's, that's not my temptation because my work, I, I, I can't go in on Sundays. Like we're not, our office isn't open. We don't, we don't have something to do on Sundays. But you know how much of a lie that is. Work can creep in to any part of your life. It doesn't matter if the office is open or not. doesn't matter if your schedule moves around and you have two days off, whatever. We can make any day a day of work in the way that we want to do it. Whether Think back to the ancient times. God, God as He's speaking this to the people of Israel, they weren't punching a clock somewhere to go to work. Right? Work was their livelihood. They lived off the land. They lived in their homes. So when God warned them about not working one day of the week, He wasn't talking about going somewhere. This was, this was around them, all around them, all the life that they did. So surely work, when God says you shall not do any work on this one day, it means more. Work is a Bigger de- has a bigger definition than things you get paid to do, right? Now, if you try to pin exactly what is exactly work, we're going to get into legalism real quick, right? But it's, mind- it's good to be mindful and prayerful of what is work to me? What, what is it that I- when I do this is laborious, it's-, it's toiling, I am working. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. What's work for you? In, in freedom, in Christ, you, you can do the things you want to do, you know, but, but what's work for you? What's restful to you and what's work? And if you can begin to understand that, what's restful and what's workful, can you make a decision to set down work, not because anybody's demanding this of you, but can you set down work as a way of receiving rest from the Lord? You're invited to that kind of rest. For some of us, myself included, I, 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 don't, I, can, I can step away from this. I can step away from preparing a sermon for 24 hours in a week. I can do that. But my temptation is then to just pick up something else, to accomplish something else. I have a hard time just sitting still. I always want to do something. I always want to accomplish something. 
And I think that desire comes from, uh, that, that temptation can come from seeing my worth, my value in what I accomplish. God gave us good work to do. It is a good thing that we work. It's good that we use our minds and our bodies and, and skills and opportunities to accomplish things. That is a good thing. We are, God is our creator. We are sub-creators. We have work to do. But once a week, we stop and say, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not working. Work really hard and then stop. 1972, a man named David Green opened up a, a craft store. And he was a Christian, so from the very beginning he planned uh, to not, not open on Sundays. But uh, there was a competitor that was opening nearby, and, and they promised that guy was, was planning on driving David Green out of business. And so uh, David Green gave in to that, and part of the reason that, that guy was saying, I'm going to be open seven days a week. And so uh, Mr. Green thought, I guess i got to do the same thing. And so he started his business and uh, was going along, open seven days a week, and doing really well. The, the store was growing. And he was a very generous man. He gave very generously to church and very generously to other charities. But all along, his, his conscience was bothering him. So 20 years into his business, he sat down just before the Lord and said, I got it. I'm not sure about this. And so he pulled up the books. And for all of his stores all across the United States, he was making $100 million just on Sunday in one year. In one year, that's what all of his stores were not, not making. That's how, much they were, that's how much merchandise was being purchased on Sundays at his stores all across the country. So he stopped and he said, you know what? I, even if it cost me something, I just think this is right. I'm going to close on Sundays. And so he did that. He said, permanently, we're going to close. And that's when Hobby Lobby really started to grow. He knew that this was right, and he was going to follow the Lord on it. It may be easy for me to look at Hobby Lobby and say, yeah, they, that's good. They should close. Well, I, don't, I, can, I can wait to get my hot glue you know, another day, right? But it's harder for me to stop the things that I, I want to do. I want to accomplish something. I want to do something. Have you ever thought about how, how, where we got this seven days from, seven days in a week? Most of the other parts of our calendar have something to do with the stars or plants or something, right? Like the earth, 365.25, that's how long it takes the earth to go around the sun. Loosely speaking, our months are based around the lunar cycle. But seven days, that's just from God. There's nothing about the stars or planets or anything that makes a week last seven days. God invented this. And he put it in the very nature of creation, all the way back in Genesis 1. I told you in Deuteronomy's account, it based uh, the, the Sabbath command in God's redemption. But if you go to where we read out of Exodus, he based it even further back in creation. Verse 11 of Exodus 20, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the rhythm God put in the very... Very beginning of creation, six days of work, one day of rest. We read in Genesis 2, 2, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. That word rest is where we get this, the, where the root for the word Sabbath comes and it means to cease, to stop, he stopped working. When you think about our lives, this invitation, what is, what is that like for you to cease? Can you cease working? When we stop working, what we're doing is we're saying, I trust God more than I trust the work of my hands. I trust that God's going to continue to provide for me. I trust God's going to keep things going. He knows my work or my family or my situation, whatever else. And by me stopping, it's not going to all just explode 24, from, between now and 24 hours from now. We're trusting God to be in control. When we work seven days a week, 
We're either thinking we are slaves bound to something or we're thinking we are God, that the world needs us to keep working. And if I don't keep working, the world's not going to keep spinning. When we stop from our work, we're saying God is God and I am not. God's in control and I'm not. Sabbath is ceasing, it's stopping, it's rest from our work. But as I, I studied this this week, something new that I, I found as I studied what this means for Sabbath, that yes, rest, Sabbath is rest from our work, but it's also something else. It's not completely passive, is it? Listen to the, the active words in these commands. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Or Deuteronomy 5.12, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those are actions. These are actions. We are ceasing from work, but we're doing something else, aren't we? So Sabbath is a rest from work, but it's a rest to God, a rest to worship. If we're going to remember, observe, keep the Sabbath, we're going to make it holy. That, that's not going to happen only by sitting on the couch watching, you know, NFL, which I guess you can't do for a number of months now anyway. But you could, that could be a part of your Sabbath. But that's probably not the only thing that's going to make it holy. There's got to be something more than just sitting. There's something active in it. Holy, the holiness of this day asks us for more. In that first generation, first couple generations of Christians, uh, as they began to kind of debate what does this look like, there was a, a Jewish and Greek philosopher who said, saw the, the Jewish idea of Sabbath, and he defended it this way. He said, you know, Really, this is, this is how it's supposed to be because we work for six days and our bodies just, we need the break. And so we, it's, it's good for us to take a break so that we can get back to, to working our best on, on the, the first day of the week. And that's, that's true in a way. Like we do need that. But the way the Bible talks about Sabbath is not just a, 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 like a, a half time of two weeks. It's not just a, a time off. It's a time to something. Not just from something, but to something. If it's going to be a holy day, then it's a day of worship. It's a day of doing something good, not accomplishing something, not building something, not making something, but a day of worship, a day of worship. What makes your Sabbath day, a day we can set aside regular parts of your life and say, this is a holy day. What can make this day holy? One of the primary ways we can do that is by gathering with God's people. So while you are under no obligation to make Sunday your, your Sabbath day, it's an invitation, an open invitation. We'll be here every Sunday. And we love for this to be an anchor in your week so that this can be a part of your Sabbath unto God, worshiping God through the gathering of His people. I know some people don't have that freedom, and uh, I've had uh, two of our children born over weekends. I'm grateful that nurses and doctors don't take every Sunday off. Uh, if I broke my arm today, I'd be very grateful somebody's in the emergency room. Many other people just don't have the freedom to, to schedule their day. So that's, again, it's not an obligation. But as much as you're able to, this is the time we gather, and this can be a time of anchoring your Sabbath to be here. I, I work today, like every Sunday, you know? So you can, it's, not, it's not a legalistic thing, but it's saying this is an opportunity to worship together. Jesus uh, corrected what the Pharisees thought of, of the Sabbath multiple times. Over and over again, they argued about the Sabbath. And one of those, in Mark chapter 3, a man has a withered hand, and the Pharisees were watching what was Jesus going to do. And he asked them a very poignant question. Uh, he brought the, the man with the withered hand, and he asked the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill? And what was crazy about that question, that question's easy. Is it, are you supposed to kill or save life? 
Jesus asked them a, a softball question. Like, it's just right here. How easy is this? And it says, they were silent. They were silent. They didn't know how to answer the question. They had so many legalistic ways about understanding exactly what you can and can't do that they missed the heart of the law. This is the day that's meant for good and for things that are right. And yet they were so concerned about exactly how many steps you can take and exactly the things you can and can't do that they missed the point. You see, Sabbath is not just about what you don't do. It's about what you do. It's about worshiping God and about doing things that are good. So what's restful to you? Maybe it is sitting with your feet up on the couch. Maybe it's going for a walk with your family. Maybe going for a run. Maybe a long run. Maybe something that's active. If you, if you work with your hands, maybe, maybe deep study with your mind is restful and building up to you on your Sabbath day. Or if you work with your mind where mainly it's mentally taxing, maybe getting out and doing something physical is restful for you. What is it that's restful for you? What does it work for you? And what's fun for you? <laughs> Sabbath can be a day of fun, of joy, of pleasure, of enjoying your family, of enjoying good things. Maybe take some time this afternoon by yourself or with your family especially and say, what, what does it look like for us to spend Sabbath together? What's restful for us? What's worshipful for us? What, where can we spend time in prayer together? How can we make Sunday morning a priority in our schedule as much as possible so this is a worshipful time for our family? And what does it look like for us to, to structure our week in such a way that we can rest? I, I can tell you, rest doesn't happen by accident, does it? You don't accidentally end up with nothing to do. I don't know who those people are, but it never happens to me. I don't accidentally end up with just a blank day. It takes some preparation. It takes some planning to be able to structure because things have to be done, don't they? And if we don't plan, we're going to end up on the day of rest that we thought we were going to have a bunch of time off going, oh, I forgot this and this and this and this. And then our day of rest can be gone. Could you shift your schedule in such a way that you could, for six days, do all your work, and the seventh day be a Sabbath unto the Lord? That's an invitation, an opportunity to rest, to delight, to enjoy a day. That's a gift, a gift from the Lord. In the last week of Jesus' life, on Thursday, he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And then he went out into the garden, was arrested, tried in the middle of the night, wrongly convicted. And by Friday morning, they were leading him out to be crucified. He was crucified in the middle of the day. The sky went black like a dawn was, was I mean, like the, the, the sun was already setting in the middle of the day. But right before he died, right before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. It's done. They were hurried, like I said a minute ago, they hurried and got him in a tomb so they didn't have to do any work on the Sabbath. And you know what Jesus did? He rested. He rested. Just like God the Father rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, so the Son rested from his work of redemption on the Sabbath day. And then on the first day of the week, the Lord Jesus Christ began a new work, a work of recreation when he resurrected out of the tomb, starting a new work, a new beginning on the first day of the week. This weekly rhythm of work and rest is built into the very beginning of creation and is worked out, displayed in our redemption. And it's an invitation for us to participate in that, to participate in what God has done for us. As you do, you're, you're practicing for what's ahead. As you begin, as you practice this uh, following in this six days of work, one day of rest, you're looking forward to what is still to come.
Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of this eternal rest. It says, uh, Hebrews 4, 9 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We look forward to a day when we don't just rest one day a week, but we enter into eternal rest. So every week as you practice Sabbath, what you're getting is a foretaste of our eternal rest. Sabbath is a foretaste of our eternal rest. Because there's coming a day when all working, all, all labor, our toil will stop. Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is a picture of new creation, getting back to the way things were meant to be in the Garden of Eden, and yet even better. In verse 6 he said, And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is a joy that's to come in the life that's ahead. A, a perfect, delightful rest. And every time we gather for worship, every time that we enjoy the peace and the tranquility that rest and Sabbath bring, what we're doing is we're getting a window into what's to come in eternity with the Lord. We have a rest available to us. And we participate in that. We're delighting in and enjoying the rest that He's given to us. I, I know your, the soundtracks in your car are probably not the same as mine, but Disney movie soundtracks are always going in my cars. And so uh, I can't help but, but think of uh, the, the Encantos, the new, the new Disney movie. And if you've seen that one, there's an older sister, Louisa, who's big and strong and can do all kinds of, of great things. And so she sings uh, the song, Surface Pressure. And she says, I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. I move mountains. I move churches. I glow because I know what my worth is. And so the, this idea is she, her identity is she's the strong one. She, she can do everything that everybody asks her to do. Her worth is in what she can accomplish. But then she sings, under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. She says, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Can you, can you hear that ache in, our, in her heart? And that, I think, is an ache that is so common to so many of us. Our worth is based in what we can accomplish. I need Louisa, and even more than that, I need all of us to hear the good news of the gospel. Christ has done enough. Your work will not save you. So you can rest. You can Sabbath. You can enjoy the presence of God and delight in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the good, good gift of rest. We acknowledge so many times, God, we just keep working and keep working and keep working, thinking we can make things better on our own. And yet, God, You've given us a gracious gift of rest. God, this week, may we work hard. May we do the things you called us to do. May we do them with passion and with energy and creativity and, and all that you call us to do. May we do our very best in all of our labors. And then may we stop. May we rest in you. May we trust that you are in control. And whatever's left undone you aren't, is in your control and you can handle it. God, we pray that our, our worth, our value would not be in what we've done, but in what you've accomplished. Because you are on the throne. You've forgiven us of our sins for all who believe in you. And we trust in that today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.